Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Real spoilers powered by reviewstl.com. Warning. The following film discussion will ruin the ending of any movie you haven't seen. Example. Bruce Willis is dead at the end of The Sixth Sense. See how I ruined it for you? Just like that. Here are a few more. Silent Breed is people! I am your father. Get it? Real spoilers. You've been warned. Broadcasting from the Missouri History Museum as a part of the St. Louis International Film Festival, this is Real Spoilers, and this is a very special episode. It's not our usual movie review. We have a guest, and this guest is also a part of the St. Louis International Film Festival. You would know his work certainly from his uh, work with Leica, but uh, he has quite the history with uh, especially stop-motion animation, and we're going to get into that. But without further ado, this is Brad Schiff. Hey, Brad. Hey, Kevin. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for joining me. Absolutely. Thanks was, for having me. Yeah, this is kind of a last-minute thing. I was doing some photography yesterday for an event you were at, mm-hmm. and I thought, wow, this guy's from St. Louis. He's doing amazing things out there in the film industry and especially animation. And if I can get a chance to talk to you, and here we are. I appreciate you making time. Absolutely. Happy to do it. So I want to talk a little bit about your history uh, and your career. I know you were doing a presentation, which I learned about you coming up. So I don't need, obviously, the whole the whole story you told yesterday. But for the folks that are listening at home, how does one get into stop motion animation? Why did you choose that? And, and where did your interest in that come from? Well, it's, it's interesting. You know, if I go back and look... I did used to shoot some stuff with with a buddy of mine, uh, Mason. We used to shoot GI Joe animations with a Super Eight camera, but that wasn't really anything that I ever thought I would do. I always loved art, so I went to college to major in art. And in the first semester of college, I was asked to drop the, the figure drawing class, and I don't know why. It wasn't the best in the class, but it was far from the worst in the class. And the only thing I could think of is maybe he was trying to light a fire under my behind, but that was the wrong way to mo- motivate me at that time. And and the 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 what happened was I just became self-conscious of my drawing ability. So I didn't want to have anything to do with art anymore. So I just switching my major every semester, you know, maybe uh, business, sociology, psychology, and none of it really resonated with me. And I didn't know if I felt lost, dead ended. Meanwhile, I had the same buddy that I used to do the animation with was going to school in Tampa and he was taking these animation classes and he couldn't draw either, but he had this instructor who used to teach at NYU who used to do these beautiful watercolor animations and his name was Richard Protovin and he had a philosophy that you don't have to draw great to animate great. And I found that fascinating. I was like, oh, wait, 
you don't have to draw to do animation. That sounds kind of cool. But I didn't even know what that meant, you know. So I transferred schools. And as a transfer student, you know, you get last choice of classes there. So I didn't get into any of the cla- any of the animation classes. And I was su- super bummed out about it. But Mason and I used to have these creative sessions. And he, one night he had a, we were, you know, we would draw or we would, you know, we would write or whatever it was. But he had some clay sitting on his desk because he was going to do a uh, stop motion animation the semester before. But he couldn't get his characters to stand up. So I, I was like, hey, can I play with that clay? And he said, sure. So I made this head and just showed it to him. I was like, check it out, dude. He goes, dude, you want to do a claymation with me? I'm like, okay, well, how are we going to do that? We'll go talk to Richard tomorrow in the morning. So Mason, the next morning, who sleeps until 11, is like knocking on my door at 8 a.m. He's like, let's go talk to Richard. So we go to the, you know, go to the communication department in Tampa where the, where the animation department was. And he says, Richard, can we get Brad an independent study? And he looks at the door where I'm kind of loitering. And he says, Brad, I mean, no disrespect, but Mason, how can I give Brad the uh, independent study in animation when he hasn't even taken the beginning animation class yet? And he says, because last night he made this. And he shows him the head. (laughs) And Richard looks at it and he says, okay, well, how would it work? And Mason said, Brad will sculpt all the characters. We'll both animate it. I'll edit it. We'll both do the sound. And he he comes back and he says, okay, four credit independent study. So we were like, yeah, just we like went, that. Totally. We went out and celebrated. And when I got back to my dorm room, so I forgot to mention there was a 22 person wait list for the beginning animation class. And when I got back to the dorm room on my voice, on my answering machine, because that's what we had back then, uh, there was a message from the bursar's office that said, uh, this message is for Brad Schiff. I'm not quite sure how, but they've miraculously found room for you in the beginning animation class. And that was really it. You know, I started, I started doing stop motion animation in college. And for the first time in my first time in my life, I was like, oh my gosh, this is what I want to do. Wow. That's amazing. So if, I mean, what would have happened if you didn't go and make that, that head on a whim? I don't know. Let me play with that clay and you make a head. And now here you are working for i mean probably the biggest uh name in stop motion animation out there making these amazing oscar nominated films because you made that head totally yeah (laughs) it's amazing it's totally lucky that's so great well and i mean obviously you have talent and you're good at it but the the right place right time right people talk about that you know And, and i mean obviously there's something to do with talent there but i mean when you talk about who you know and and being in the right place. I mean, all that stuff does play a factor into it. And, it. It totally does. And you obviously were into art. It's You were taking classes, and you know, even though they didn't go the way you would hope for, I mean, that was always your interest. But to find something like that out of a chance meeting like that's amazing totally and and you know and i i do i feel lucky i feel that that i feel lucky that that opportunity happened because it could have you know i think it's a terrible thing for for an art teacher to tell somebody you know yeah. to do that and that you know i think about how many other kids has that happened to. And it just sort of totally de- didn't get derails lucky. them, you know? How many kids didn't go pick up a clay right. and get a, a study like that and end up, you know, working in film? Yeah, it was incredibly oh. fortuitous. Well, you know, and, and I think that's, I mean, that goes into a whole philosophy of like the tough love. I mean, I'm a parent. I don't know. Are you a parent? Mm-hmm, okay. Am. So, you know, some parents out there are just the tough love, tough love. And, oh, it's, you know, I'm not doing this to be mean. I'm doing this because it's good for you. But I don't subscribe to that. But, you know, I believe that, you know, sure, you can't always be their friend. You have to be a parent. But also, I you don't want to push them away way and and some teachers i guess kind of subscribe to that tough love thing but i mean a lot of people will turn away and i don't and i also think people uh respond differently different people respond to different types of 
totally and, yeah. it, and it's the only thing that makes sense to me that maybe he, maybe what he was trying to do yeah. and that didn't you know i didn't respond to that type of you know yeah. reinforcement or whatever you want to call it you ever send him yeah. a christmas card or anything i don't even remember From, his name uh, i've tried oh, to find yeah, out his name well. i've tried to find out his name over the years you know <laughs> to, to <laughs> check in and see how he's doing yeah but oh that'd be great from uh that's, you a, know, nice, that's a nice way from to Coraline. say it. <laughs> from all your friends at Leica, <laughs> Merry Christmas. No, but no, that's good. I mean, you took the high road. You don't need to search them out. Those people, you know what? You just have to move past. Don't totally. let it eat away at you. It worked out great for you. And, you know, you just move forward. Absolutely. So you did some work before we get into this this recent stuff, which I'm so excited to talk to you about. But you worked on one of my favorite shows growing up, and that's Celebrity Deathmatch on MTV. I, I that show was hilarious. It was so popular at the time. I mean, that was right in my wheelhouse as a teen growing up. And how did you get involved with Celebrity Deathmatch? That was, you know, I had I finished grad school in '95 at New York University, and then I moved to San Francisco because that's what was, that's that was the center of stop the stop motion universe at that particular not time. Not St. Louis. Not St. Louis. <laughs> not moving back home. For <laughs> right. Well, I did, and then yeah, I wasn't getting right. any work. Right. Nobody's going to fly a kid out from St. Louis to work in San Francisco, sure. especially with, you know just out of school and this that in inexperienced but um so i lived in san francisco for three years temping temping at bank of america and i get a phone call from the guy who used to run the equipment area his name was greg pear at uh, nyu he was going to be co-directing celebrity deathmatch wow and you know the stuff that i did in school was a little gratuitous and kind of you know aggressive and a little you know like kind of perfect for celebrity totally and so he calls me up he says brad you want to come work on celebrity deathmatch i'm like heck yes because i've been waiting you know i've been waiting for that chance to to animate every day and that was my first opportunity i went there in january of 98 and worked through june when i got on at will vinton studios but deathmatch it was the best training ground ever you know like every day i was animating as fast as i could stuff that i'd never you know didn't even didn't know what i was going to do didn't know how to do it and you just had to feel your way through it and it was it was so much fun you know i think that's the best education most of the time i mean you know you go to school and and that's great and especially certain people need that but how often are you using calculus how often are you pulling up your history knowledge. I mean, it's all good to be well-rounded, but at the end of the day, you get your job and then you start working, you learn on the job. and Totally. It was, you... it was the best training ground ever. So how long did it take to make a match? I mean, I know there are different and more people, things involved, but on average, how long would one of those take? I mean, it was quick. Like I think in the, gosh, I really don't remember, but I feel like, I mean, we were shooting 10 seconds a day. Wow. So I feel like those matches would take us two, maybe a week or two wow. to do. How long were they? Were they like five, ten? They were sure. I mean, because they were multiple matches in a in a a show. So I don't remember, but I remember. I remember the matches that I did, but I don't remember how long they took to do it. I remember it was just sort of, you know, don't you know, balls to the wall, fast as you can. Absolutely. Well, because I personally, I, I think it's amazing what you do, and anyone that works in stop motion animation. I can't, I couldn't do it. I don't have the patience. And I, I want to ask, how do you, I mean, do you ever, or did you ever early on get tired? Like I have to move this mouth up, this arm up. I just don't know how someone does it. It's funny. Like I, I'm not a very patient person, but I, I have the ability to focus intently for short periods of time. But I think because of my impatience, I was always very fast. Oh, you're efficient at getting it done. Yeah. So I was one of like, I was, I was always known as one of the fastest animators. Okay. And I think it probably is because I was so impatient. I just kind of wanted to get it done. You right. Know? And, but it does take intense focus. And that's what I find with, with everybody that I've worked with 
and all all of the animators that I work with right now, like they all have the ability to focus intently for, you know, short bursts or long hours, you know, hours and hours on end. So I want to get you from there to the Leica stuff. And I know there was stuff in between and I don't want to totally rush through it, but you know, I, we have a limited time here, mm, of, course. Sure, of course. So, but you did a show called the PJs, which mm-hmm. I remember growing up to, um, and, uh, what, any other, what were the other pivotal things there in was between? A sh- there was a show called Gary and Mike, which was right on okay. the, right on the heels of the PJs. And then there was a bunch of commercials, yeah. commercial work until Corpse Bride in what? 2004. Was uh, at that time, I mean, I'm guessing it was, was it Claymation? Is that what most of these things were using? Or? Clay, the la- the only thing that I ever really did in clay was Deathmatch because the heads were, oh, okay. the heads were clay. But then once but I other got... other than that, it wasn't clay. No, once I got to Will Vinton Studios, they were like uh, hollow plastic heads. They were sort of like uh, high tech Mr. Potato heads. Yeah. Okay. So they were, they were hard. They had beads for eyes that you could move around, but the mouths were wax that you could stick on the mouth. Okay. The, uh, eyebrows were clay that you would press in a little eyebrow mold and the lids were little plastic pieces that, that fit on. Interesting. Okay. So I think that nowadays, and there, there's so many stop motion films out there. People have had more exposure, but back in the day growing up, I always called them claymation. I think that, I mean, that must just be a a misconception and uh, you know, people call it tissue Kleenex, but it's not right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a different kind. I mean, claymation is a type of stop motion, but it sounds like a lot of things don't use clay. Right. So claymation is a term that was coined by Will Vinton studios, who is famous for the California raisins and the Noyford Dominoes who did the PJ and Gary and Mike and actually what Leica was before we were Leica before we rebranded as Leica okay so that term was coined by Will and by Will's company and it just sort of became synonymous with the medium right but it's really it was his his thing that's interesting so it was like a Kleenex like a almost like a brand name because what Ardman does you know they they did clay forever but they don't call it claymation yeah yeah interesting okay great great okay so so that so it's Leica was Will Vincent Will Vinton, yeah. Will Vinton, sorry. Yeah. I didn't realize that. Okay, because I was going to ask, how do you get to be a part of Leica? But you were working for that studio, and so it just, you, it, now was this when it was bought by the Knight family? That's Is that right. how it became yeah. rebranded? Exactly. Okay, excellent. And wow, and I mean, Travis Knight is doing amazing things now too. I mean, I don't know how he's juggling, so he's he's the CEO of Leica, right? That's right. But he's directing Bumblebee, and he's got, what's the other big one now? Uh, he just... Oh, well, he, he's signed on, or, you know, in the trades of doing Uncharted. Yes, the Uncharted movie, exactly. Yeah. So it's yeah. like, wow. So he's still, um, but he's still CEO. He's active in Leica, too. Yeah. Is so it, it's been cool, you know, it's been cool for me to watch yeah. his journey because we worked together back on, on the PJs. Okay. And to watch his journey from animator to lead animator to CEO to wow. director to visionary, people call him, is really, yeah. is really quite cool, you know, and I, and I you know, I thank my lucky stars and I'm so privileged to be working for somebody that has the same passion for this, you know, age old art form. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, it sounds like all the things that you just mentioned, I mean, he is the right person to be leading the company because people recognize, you know, his skill and his, his vision in this arena. And, and obviously other people are tapping into that, not even for stop motion animation, but now to direct these feature films. So, um, but let's talk about you. And so, okay. So the company becomes like a, and is that after Corpse Bride? Because I don't remember. It happened during, I think it happened during, during Corpse okay. Bride. Or like, right. So I was on loan, like a, like a piece of equipment <laughs> to, to, uh, Warner Brothers for Corpse Bride. Okay. So I, I so was they getting like contracted. Yeah. I was getting paid through Will Vinton Studios, yeah. 
but I was working in London yeah. for Warner Brothers. And when I came back after Corpse Bride, we were like already. Okay. And that's when and that's when Coraline started. Got it. So see, because I didn't know the name Leica, and that would make sense then, because you became it while you were working on that movie. Because I didn't realize Leica had anything to do with Corpse Bride. Like right. I just the name wasn't there yet, so I didn't associate those two. But I mean, that movie has some amazing. You showed some of it yesterday. Some amazing animation and uh, the mechanisms you use. Uh, uh, I you would do a better job describing this, but instead of manually having to move things in this Mr. Potato Head fashion, like you mentioned, these were like clocks or like watches where you would wind certain things. That's right, McKinnon and Saunders, who are the you know premier puppet makers um, in, in the world. They you know they are one of the premier puppet makers okay, in the sure. world. I don't want to. You don't you know, want to burn any bridges for your other they, partners. At, at the time, they were the you know I'm a little biased to, to sure. us right now, but. Um, these heads were like fine watches, you know, yeah. so they had these little mechanical gears. So everything was mechanical and it, and they had a silicone skin over it. So if you put a hex wrench in the, in the ear and turned it towards the back of the head, it would pull the skin up to like the, of the corner of the mouth up to a frown, uh, up to a smile. If you turned it towards the front of the face, it would take it down to a frown. Wow. And it was amazing. You could get this really cool articulation and the silicone skin moved so organically. It was really, it was really great. But the, the flaw in that technique is that you have a you know you have a team of 30 animators so if you move it a millimeter too far it kind of took the character off model Mm. you know or if you turn bride's smile too big she had kind of a jokery (laughs) odd smile so you know in the right hands they were gold and you know in naive hands they weren't as successful so was that not only for efficiency, but also because you could fine tune? I mean, you could get very small increments of changes as opposed to manually trying to do it. Or what was the real benefit? I think it was just trying to get more organic okay. feel, you know, because I think t- the last movie Tim had done was night, you know, was nightmare mm. and it had replacement faces. So I think when McKinnon came up with this thing, they wanted they, they had this idea for this more organic movement and it was beautiful. You just had to keep it within a certain range. Now, being an animation fan, it must have been a dream come true. I mean, Tim Burton is an amazing filmmaker, not just associated with animation, but obviously with him producing the night and writing The Nightmare Before Christmas, and that was such an iconic, I mean, would you say that was one of the things that put stop motion animation on the map? Oh, for sure. I I mean, that movie, there was nothing else like it at that time. No. And uh, so to be able to work with him on a movie where you're once again doing stop motion, I mean, what was that like? Oh, it was a dream. You know, it, it was... I love Nightmare. It was so inspiring to me, you know, in school. I was like, oh my gosh. And I, th- as I was doing stop motion and the stop motion movie comes out, I thought, oh my, this is exactly what I, w- what I want to be doing. And funny story is when I was finishing graduate school, I was told that I was hired on Mars Attacks, yeah. also a Tim Burton movie. Yeah. And the phones went silent. And, you know, long story short, they went CG. So everybody had talked that stop motion was dead. So, you know, here I am with my graduate degree, super excited, you know, master's degree, super excited to get into the world of stop motion with Tim Burton too, and and everybody saying it's dead. And so that went away. So it was really, it's even more special that the first feature that I actually got to work on was another Tim Burton movie. And, and in this time it's all stop motion. I mean, for, I mean, for the most part, I'm sure were were there CG elements to it or was it? all photographed there everything was in ca- i'm pretty sure that everything was in camera okay. there may have there was probably there was there was some compositing sure. you know like getting rid of rigs and stuff like yeah, that of course. um i'm trying to think of backgrounds were composite i'm sure there probably were a little bit but for the most but, part i mean that's a full 
it, it's a stop motion yeah it's picture. it's interesting so here's something that I, I i haven't told anybody in quite some time oh. like but i remember when the first trailer came out for corpse bride people there was a lot of like it took a lot of heat because of the, a lot of uh comments comment section were you know thought it looked like cg it doesn't look like stop motion oh they thought it was like, like fake, cg like cg replicating yeah. stop motion and i remember yeah. tim not liking that but i took great pride in that yeah you fooled them you know they thought it was so good yeah they thought it was so natural that it was you know well i'm gonna get into this with your most recent film because at first when i saw it i'm like that looks incredible no way they're doing that with puppets but we'll get there okay (laughs) yeah and and to me it's all about pushing the medium and what we're trying to do and we could get into a way deeper conversation about you know because it's interesting there are a lot of stop motion purists that feel that stop motion has to look a particular way which is like stop motion which is kind of chattery yeah but that feels odd. it's like it's the only thing i can think of like the only medium where people say nope that's too good it should look no, it yeah. should look more like this other thing it's like you're you, first of all you don't want everything to look the same i wouldn't think so i mean you want to push the medium you want to look different you want to stand out even among your own films you want to improve and make better animation totally. better models and everything so i think that's really odd you can always have subsets of a medium why do you have to have that's exactly right but, that's that's my point you know yeah. and, and and i love all sorts of stop motion you know yeah. i i love i love that type of stuff i love the naive student work and i love the super refined stuff that we do at like yeah okay well um well let's get into like a little bit so you've obviously like has made some incredible films i mean so corpse bride looks great you had to work with tim burton that's amazing and then would it be Coraline? was yep. that the first Coraline one right out of first. that and that movie came out swinging with i mean that was now like i mean that's your studio right like you weren't contracted by someone that was full like a that was production. To- totally us yeah and so what was that like being a part of you've done some huge projects but all of a sudden your company that you've been working for is blowing up and it's your movie for me having been there for a long time you know i mean i loved will Vinton studios but i always thought it was a place that was bubbling with potential but never really quite realizing that potential and then when we started making Coraline, you know we rebranded as Leica, we started making Coraline, and i'm like this is it like this is what we've we're realizing that potential that the place always had. You knew you had something when you were working on Coraline. I mean, you know, and everybody obviously loves what they're working on. You've got the passion, but not everything turns into a hit movie, right? You always try to, but, but you kind of had that feeling that it was special. And yeah. And it was, it was a great story. Like I love Neil Gaiman and you know, the fact that it was based on his book and to work with Henry Selleck, you know, here's Henry Selleck, you know, stop motion legend, you know, directing this movie was, was super cool. So that's cool. So you've worked with the director of the nightmare before Christmas. You've worked with the creator producer, Tim Burton and Tim Burton, who's just, he's Tim Burton. So that's amazing. That's cool. You've gotten to work with both of them and, and Neil Gaiman. Wow. You've really worked with some legends. Totally. Yeah. Lucky. So, and then where do you go from there and where does uh, your work with Wes Anderson come in? So right after Coraline. So we wrapped Coraline and Fantastic Mr. Fox was shooting in London. Love that Back movie. at the same studio where we shot uh, uh, Corpse Bride. Okay. So they were, uh, they needed a few, you know, they needed some extra hands. So a few of us from Coraline went over to work on Fantastic Mr. Fox. Yeah. And, um, and I was one of them. 
What so. an amazing film. And I've been a fan of Wes Anderson forever. I, I didn't see Bottle Rocket as a kid. Uh, my first was The Royal Tenenbaums. Okay. And then I went back and discovered Bottle Rocket. And then, But ever since, you know, I went through the whole catalog. And his movies are so good. And I remember at the time people questioning, like, Wes Anderson, but he's doing, this is based on a kid's book. But it's not just for kids, obviously. I mean, right. and, and, and adults fell in love with it. And fans, it's such a special movie. And, uh, and the voice cast is phenomenal in that. Um, what, just what was it like working with Wes Anderson on he, that? You know, again, like I, I too have, am a huge Wes Anderson fan and have been since Bottle Rocket. I remember yeah. seeing that as a kid and, and I just loved it. And the opportunity to go there was, you know, incredibly special. But then because of my, you know, I, I've always, I'm, I'm a big sports fan as well. I'm sort of artsy and sporty and, you know, yeah. just sort of this weird middle, <laughs> middle ground of, of things. But he had a, a, a paragraph in the script about this game called Whack Bat. And when I got there, I said, who's shooting the Whack Bat sequence? And they said, well, it's not cast yet. I said, I really would like to do it. And so I knew the producer, uh, Allison Abate, who was the same producer of Corpse Bride, was producing uh, uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox. So she put in a good word, and they let me own that sequence. So I got to meet regularly with Wes, and we would brainstorm on what the you know, what the game could be, what the position, you know, the, what the, what the, uh, uh, the animation should be for the different positions. And, you know, I'm pulling reference and showing him this stuff. And it was with this really great relationship, you know, based on this whack bat game. Very cool. So what, what, how did your work differ on that then on Coraline? Because I mean, currently you're the animation supervisor. Is that the, now I am. Yeah. Now you are. But, but back then, what were, what was your official title or what were you? I was just an, I was animator. You're an animator. Okay. And so you were another animator on Mm -hmm. fantastic Mr. Fox. That's right. And how did that differ from the work on Coraline? I mean, as far as just like the type of puppets or whatever. The, the, so on Coraline's Coraline, the, the puppets were all replacement animation. So they were all, they were all printed out on a 3d printer. Um, so designed in the computer, or 2, 2G, 2G designed, modeled in the computer, printed out on a 3D printer. Got it. And then Fantastic Mr. Fox, we went back to mechanical faces. So, okay. so the muzzles had, had wires and, 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 and um, ball joints in there so you could open and close the jaw, bring the snarl of the lips up and down, move the brows. So they were all, and they were all covered in fur. And Wes really wanted, like he loved Sterevich, like the old... Um, Eastern European animator who got his start doing taxidermied animals. And Wes was sort of really inspired by that. So, you know, there was a lot of just touching the puppet to get that mystery wind. Yeah. You know, but they were really, they were, they were a really cool puppet as well. Yeah. Well, that, that movie's fantastic. And so that we can just jump back into like, I'm going to jump around a little bit and go to Isle of Dogs. Okay. Which, was that just last year or was uh, that two years ago? Two years ago, I think. Yeah. I saw that movie in the theater the week of release, and I'm a huge Wes Anderson fan and love Fantastic Mr. Fox, so I was excited to return to this world of stop-motion animation, and it had, obviously, that Wes Anderson feel to it, but the animation looked so amazing mm. and so original. I mean, it it, it, it's so, it was so good. I don't know. It's probably the best way to put it. It looked so good. Um, I was mesmerized for the entire film just looking at how that moved. How had things evolved and changed since you worked on fantastic mr fox to isle of dogs what was the difference in the animation style there i think the biggest thing so i was only on for very like i only worked on a specific scene after hours for for isle of dogs but but i think what's what was interesting about fox is wes would ask for these things you know like the the animation he was asking for was kind of counterintuitive to a lot of 
what what all the animators have been striving to do and a lot of a lot of the animators didn't get it you know so Wes would ask for something that to them seemed maybe substandard and it was sort of confusing and I don't think Wes had you know he didn't think my Woody to say hey guys I know this might be counterintuitive to everything that you've been doing but trust me yeah. you know he's got and, his vision he's not an animator or yeah. a stop motion animator but he says I want him to do this but and you guys can automatically go oh well that doesn't usually work like this he totally. just doesn't have, yeah and and so it wasn't until the movie came out that I think that aha moment for everybody happened myself included you know like I look back at the whack bat sequence and if I could simplify certain things I, I totally would sure but so when Isle of Dogs happened, I think everybody understood what Wes was doing and totally bought in. And I think the stylistically, it jives way better with his style. Yeah. Oh, you know, yeah. With his, with you know, with his uh, uh, technique, you know, whatever sensibilities yeah. than than Fox. But now, is that an original though? I mean, is that a Wes Anderson story? I mean, obviously, Fantastic Mr. Fox was a children's book. I think. I'll- I think it is. I just didn't know if it may be because maybe he had more in the development phase, but I don't want to. He wrote it, but yeah. I don't know if it's a. But if it, it is adapted or not. Yeah. Okay. So we won't, we won't go there yeah. with it. But anyway, Isle of Dogs, amazing. One of my favorite movies of the year. I thought that should definitely be up there for best animated. I'm now, I don't know if that was running against a light. It was, it was, it was, no, we didn't have one out that okay, year. Good. But, and it, and it, then it, it was definitely, yeah, yeah, yeah. So when I saw it though, I go, that's going to be nominated. There's no way it's not right. Yeah. Um, did it end up winning? No, it didn't. Oh, because um, I was pushing. I was hoping it would. Yeah, I forget what Disney but, picks are. But there's always wanted. that's <laughs> now. And, and I mean, that's kind of the monkey in the room. There's always a Disney Pixar out. Yeah, and they are very good. They're great. But I mean, it's a different type of animation. But of course, your work in stop motion. I mean, it all falls under animation. Totally. And so you're always going to be competing, if not one, two, three. I mean, Disney and Pixar. They put out a couple, few every year. Right. So they're always there, and that's always a hurdle to get over. Do you ever wish that there was some kind of a subcategory or something, or do you just... I don't know. I, no, I only think that there should be a subcategory in the animated shorts. Okay. You know, when you have a, a short that one of the big companies is doing, you know, com- yeah. companies are producing where they're paying millions of dollars and sure. a team of people to do against somebody who shot, took five years to shoot this thing in their That's garage. That's fair, yeah. You know? yeah. But feature-wise... I don't know. I like yeah. being in the same field with them. And I think, that's true. you know, even though we face a lot of adversity and we haven't gotten there yet, we will. Yeah. But I'm it, confident we will. That's a good point, though, because if you if you start to subcategorize, then it's almost like you're not in the same league. Right. And you are. You know, in one hand, it's like, okay, well, if you have this stop motion or some kind of other more practical as opposed to computer animation or however they would break it down in theory, then it's like, okay, cool. Maybe we have a better chance because we know we're so good at what we do. Mm-hmm. But then it's like, then you kind of open it up for like, well, then that's not animation or that's, you know what I mean? Or that's not Disney style animation or, you know, you start to separate what animation is. And of course, yours is a style of animation. So you don't want to really separate. Them. Totally. It's just, yeah, it's hard. It's hard to separate. And, you know, in all honesty, like I don't, we don't do it for the awards, you know, <laughs> it's, you know, we do it cause we love it and we're tr- doing it because we believe in the stories and we're trying to push the medium to a different place and trying to make a difference for people. Yeah. And all of those other things are bonus, you know, yeah. like the fact that they've all been nominated is amazing. It is. And you know, do I feel like we should have won a couple of those? <laughs> yeah. yeah. But that's not, you know, that's not certainly not why. That's cool. Why yeah. we do it. That's good. I but, mean, yeah. But, but what an honor to be in the same arena with, you know, the Pixar's and the Disney's sure and the DreamWorks. And it's really, it's really cool. So after Coraline, is it Kubo? Uh, after Coraline, it was uh, Paranorman. 
Oh, Paranorman, right. Okay. Yeah. And, and I'm guessing you learn, I mean, anyone does from experience, like we've talked about, you know, you learned things along the way that now you look at Mr. Fox and you say, well, I would have done this differently. Um, what did you carry on to your second feature with like, what did Paranorman do, do differently? So Paranorman was like, that's when I stepped into being supervisor. Okay. And I had some ideas of some things that I wanted to do because, you know, stepping in, like it was, you know, a daunting task. Like, how do we, how do we make it better than Coraline? Right. And I had some ideas and a couple of them were one, one was how the movies were cast with the animators. So previously the way they've been cast generally was, you know, you would just put an animator at any open scene that you happen to have. So it wasn't very engaging for yeah. the animator. It was hard to get your head around shots sometimes. Or you're specialized. Tra- yeah. And you're trying yeah. to adapt your style you know, the for the beginning of your shot to match somebody, you know, this yeah. one person and then the end of the shop to match another, another person. Disjointed. Yeah. yeah. So that was the first thing I wanted to do was try to cast it and give everybody chunks of the movie. Okay. So it's sort of a, it, it allowed animators to have more autonomy in, in their, in their work and know, know what they were doing and B it's, you know, these movies are done by 30 sets of hands and you want to try to make it feel like one set of hands. So sure. you want, you want all these individual styles to, kind of disappear well not kind of you want them to disappear because you want it to feel like it's done by one set of hands and that was another way to hide individual styles do you do you uh, assign head animators to like specific characters or does it or no is it just uh not as much well sometimes characters some character you know some animators gravitate to particular characters but it's like casting actors you know Mm -hmm. all the animators are actors and they're and they're brilliant but some are better at you know subtle acting emotional scenes while another one might be better at action scenes. So you try to put every animator at, at a scene that caters to their strength because it's better, you know, it, it, it's better for the movie. So how I noticed from, from Coraline, you know, working up to more recent movies that they're, the movements are getting more lifelike. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the animation is getting better. Obviously you guys are more experienced. It's just, you're, you're getting better overall, but the movements are more fluid. They just look better. And so how do you model movements? How do you capture that? So there's, there's two main things that we're doing. So we shoot a lot of reference. Now we call them labs, okay. live at live action videos. And we kind of got that from Wes. Wes shot, shot labs for every, for everything. Oh, wow. And it was always Wes, you know, so, oh, it's was, <laughs> so it's interesting if you look at all the characters in the film, like they all move like Wes. Moves. Oh, that's funny. Um, but we shoot our labs now. So all the animators do it. So, oh. and so what you're modeling, you do it and you watch yourself. That's right. Okay. Or you grab one of your animation, but you know, one of the other, other members of the animation team sure. to do your, your lab do for this. you. <laughs> so in certain case, certain animators gravitate to other, ca- you know, are really good. Like we always have like a resident, um, animator who's, becomes a character like in like a missing link yeah. charles greenfield was our resident mr link you know okay. so part, poor charles was taken off as you know everybody was knocking on his set all the time <laughs> hey charles i gotta shoot this lab will you come <laughs> shoot this lab for me um so that's one of the things and the other is the, our rigging department and you know rigging are really the un- unsung heroes of of what we do and you know everything that they do you'll never see on camera and Basically, because with stop motion, we we have to defy gravity. So they are they make the characters be able to jump in the air, but they also are able to. We have these things we call jetpacks now that we can attach to the puppet for the, to its back and its hip block, and they're like two two turnbuckles. And when you turn them towards towards the front, the character tilts forward. If you turn them towards the back, they tilt backwards. If you turn them the same direction, it tilts to the side. The same other direction, they tilt to the other side, and we're able to get these super subtle nuanced movements that you couldn't get 
by moving them by hand. Okay. So, I mean, we, we move them by hand, but the, we're able to get these drifts, these natural drifts based on the reference that we see in the lab and incorporate them into the puppet. And there's sort of been an evolution from Paranorman to Box Trolls to Kubo to Missing Link where it's taken that long to get buy-in from the entire team yeah. to do it. And you're starting to see it and the continuity of that throughout the film is is great. And like is just a super special place in the sense that there's an opportunity for artistic development because we have the same core people from film after film after film. So we're able to break down what animators are doing, what's working, what we'd like to work on. And everybody just kind of keeps getting better and we're becoming better actors. Like we're, we're learning all the time as well. You know, we're trying to school ourselves, you know, we're taking acting classes, we're reading acting books so we can become better performers. And cause that's what, that's what we are. You know, that's whatever all that, that whole team, our whole team of animators are actors and they just happen to act through these inanimate objects. Yeah, that's that's really neat. And I like that you touched upon that because for a long time, and I mean, there didn't used to be a best animated feature category at the Oscars. A long, I mean, it was like cartoons, as they would call them, were kids movies. And people, they got relegated into the corner and they said, uh, and you can have a really good cartoon, but it's like, that's not a film. That's not Oscar worthy, which even, if, of course they are. But, you know, but it was just that thinking. And now you see these amazing movies. And of course, adults uh, are going to these films and appreciating them. And it's like, these are films and you get touching films. These animated features are making people cry and, mm-hmm. and people are relating to them and you know plethora of emotions but uh i think that's really neat that now i think people audience they're taking and they have been for a while but they're really taking them seriously and you have people like Leica pushing the boundaries and making these incredible films that people aren't you know they're not saying oh that's a really good animated film it's like that's a really good film right it's it's interesting it's a stigma that i think you're still we're still fighting that whole cartoons are for kids and animated films you know they're for kids and yeah. then, and you're right. More and more people are finally starting to realize that that they are films yeah. and they're these you know beautiful pieces of art. And you know to be able to take an inanimate object and make it something that people can engage with and mm-hmm. have an emotional investment in is is truly spectacular. I think what really helped, and because this predates the Leica stuff is uh, the original Toy Story. Mm. People, you know, there's a whole generation that grew up where they were kids when Toy Story came out. Now, of course, Toy Story 4 is out, but that movie was, you know, it hit them on an emotional level and they took them seriously because they loved that movie and they're showing it to their kids now. And I feel like now that that generation grew up with it, they it's like they've only known animation, right? Like they grew up with these movies and they realized how good they were. And so I feel like kind of in the Pixar on period was like, people start taking animation seriously totally and it's getting better and better and better um but i mean your movies i mean there's you guys have emotional stuff and i mean let's skip forward and i mean i don't mean to brush past stuff like kubo and and the others because they're amazing films but let's talk about your most recent from this year missing link Mm. which i'm looking at this uh it's susan right yep i'm looking at this susan is a maquette is what it's one of our stop motion puppets okay and this is amazing. I'm actually looking, and I'll I'll post a picture because I took a picture actually getting to hold the Susan uh, puppet. But uh, this is one that was actually used in the film, right? That's, that's right. We have so there were 26 uh, Susan puppets. There were 12 that looked like this. Okay. Uh, the, the naked one. Yeah. And for those out there, he's not really for really yeah for naked. this is a, it's, it's, a, it's a Sasquatch. Sasquatch. So, so yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> naked meaning furred, and um and there were 10 that had the suit the tight suit on. Okay. And then there were a couple other combinations, a couple different stunt ones for the swinging on the ice bridge and, um, 
I think a half and half when he had to pull his pants and they had to pull the pants up in that yeah. scene by the wall. Um, so yeah, so, you know, they have multiple, multiple puppets because you're going to have, you know, he's in the whole movie. So there may be 20 animators animating, you know, Susan at one, at one time. So somebody will be animating him in the cave while somebody else will be animating him on, you know, in front of the wall at Adelina's, uh, uh, house. Um, Somebody may be animating him in the Himalayas. Somebody's got him in the carriage in the, you know. So he's got to be all over the film. So you, you have to have multiple people to be able to shoot him at the same time. How do you make uh, all of these and they look the same and everything? I and mean, what's the production system? It's our incredible puppet department. You know, it's all part of the pre-production. And, and they're so talented. And, and, and she, you know, he was one of our most complex puppets that we had that we had to do he's got you know chris butler designed these characters and they were set you know the silhouette was a super simple shape but you know how do you get naturalistic articulation out of something like this yeah and, and so and the they, detail yeah i'm looking at this up close and i mean obviously you see it on the big screen you know you get a good idea of how much detail goes into it but when you really look at it and you see you know what would be the hair and the strands and the different colors and it's amazing yeah totally you know and they put you know they put they have a breather in it so you know there's a little dial wow. that they put on the back so it's all geared on the inside so you know you can instead of just having the character drift now we can have the character's breathe you know wow so you have to control not just the movement but you're thinking you know is he breathing in or out absolutely and yeah. when they're walking there's a you know you, we can make his belly bounce oh wow um there's a squash and stretch so we can also incorporate that into, into i'll take a movements. video of this and so like, right. if you don't I mean, we can keep talking but sure. i'm gonna i'm gonna just take a video of you controlling this because it really is amazing i mean you're not here in your studio we're sitting in this multi-purpose room doing this podcast you know and a table and a couple chairs but yet you're able to control this puppet wherever you are and and do this it's it's quite amazing here, I'm going to get this All framed. Right. Okay, I'll get you both. There you are. Okay, so just move this around for me a little bit. So this I'll... is his squash and stretch here. Wow. This is, this here is his belly mover. <laughs> Look at that. And it's super subtle, the the breather. I don't know if, you're, if you'll be, even be able to see it on your video, but his diaphragm is going in and out. By yeah, and, and hopefully you'll be able to zoom in on the computer. But, you know, I'm looking at this in person, and, yeah, you can just see it expand. I mean, you can see the breathing. It's subtle, but, wow, what control. Yeah. And so what you're kind of doing here is you've, I mean, you've built upon what you have been doing this whole time where uh, Corpse Bride, you had these little, you know, controls and everything, but now you're, you're inventing these methods, right? Is this Leica's in-house technology? Mm -hmm. That's correct. So you're now continuing to do things where you can fine tune, but now you guys are the masters. You're the innovators and creating your own technology for this. Um, and so you're able to fine tune if, if something doesn't look right or something doesn't work right, you don't have to go call up whoever you talk to your people, totally. you work with them and they can change it, you know, on the fly. I mean, I know it takes work, but it's just like, you know, you're not waiting. Oh, well, we're, you know, it's me a week and a half before we can get back to totally. you. Totally. It's not, you know, everything's done in house. So yeah. yeah, you don't have to send it out of town to have something yeah. done. And we test, you know, we do arduous testing of everything we, and, and really comprehensive testing of, you know, of the armature, of all the mechanics that are inside of the fur. How is it bending the cloth? How is it, how does it wrinkle? You know, all of these things to make sure we get the best range of motion and we're able to, you know, they, they'll send it down. We'll do a test. We'll have a meeting where we give notes. They address the notes. They give it back to us to test again. And it's just, it's a big back and forth, you know, whether it's the hair blowing or it's the range of motion of the, of the neck or it's how he walks or whatever it happens to be. We, we test everything. 
Now, how do you do that? Now, you mentioned the hair, and because, I mean, this to me, as I'm just looking at it, looks fairly stationary. How mm-hmm. do you get to really move the hair? Well, it's interesting. He was a challenge because you can't, you know, he's silicone, as, right. as, you, can, as you can see here. Yeah, he I'm looks squishy. Him. Yeah. And it would be impossible to wire every one every of these single one, yeah. tufts. So what we did was we took a two-inch uh, piece of this hair, and one version we wired it, where it wired every piece so you could get movement. Another one was actually a bunch of threads that were that were able to pull the fur. Oh. And we did tests like, what is it? What what would the fur look like moving in a light breeze? What would it look like in a medium breeze? What does it look like in a heavy wind? And we proposed those to Chris, the direct Chris Butler, the director, and he picked the light breeze. He said, "Oh, I like the way that that looks." So we were able to take that practical test and send it to our visual effects department, who are also in house. And then they painted particular tufts. So every t- oh, okay. with a with a UV paint, an invisible UV oh, paint. Oh wow! So you don't see it in regular lighting. But is it on this? Yeah, but it's and, on this and, one. And because wow. we're and because we're, I don't know how much you, it's probably all worn off at this point. <laughs> but because we're we're working with stopped time, yeah, you know, we could do a black light pass. And when you turn on the black light pass, it he lights up like a Christmas tree. <laughs> and the VFX department is able to isolate those red yeah. tufts. And they're able to manipulate that and move it matching what we did with the wow, practical fur. That's amazing. Yeah. But yeah, that's the thing now. You can marry the two of them together. I I think CG is great for enhancing. Mm-hmm. I, I This goes for live action. I think it goes for the practical stuff you're doing with the stop motion. I love that you can enhance things with CG. But if with full CG things, the problem is, is you don't have any physicality. I mean, I know it's getting better, mm. but it lacks a certain weight, especially with live action. When they try to do full CG effects in it, your eye, you know, you get that uncanny valley thing. It just right. doesn't quite do it. So I'm all for the enhancing with CG because you can do really neat things and things that aren't practical. Like you mentioned, I mean, not reasonable to do it, like right. individual hairs on. The, it's just too complicated. I mean, we, we embrace it. I mean, our yeah. films are hybrids, you know, while, yeah. while all the primary animation is all stop motion, we try to do as much practically as possible it doesn't always make sense you know so sometimes the better option is to do it in vfx so we try to inform those decisions with practical elements and because it's all in house they could take they can take a puppet next door and they can see you know or on set they can come down they can see how the lighting affects it they can see what the what the uh tooth on a particular fabric looks like and then we also embrace it to make these worlds bigger, you know, like, True. like we're not limited to the tabletop anymore, which was always a thing with stop motion animation. It's like, okay, how big of, of a set can you make and how many puppets can one animator animate? Well, now we don't have to do that. We can make our hero puppets in stop motion and we embrace this, you know, uh, CG to do our background characters to make these large expansive yeah. cityscapes and vistas and, you know, and no longer are you, are you limited anymore? So we really embrace the technology. And, and I think we always say like we were, we, we combine the most refined bespoke craftsmanship with the most advanced technology to make our movies. Yeah. Well, it really shows on this one and they've been getting better and better as like has created these films. And I mean, they've looked amazing since Coraline, but each one you can just tell it's getting better and better and better. When I saw the preview for missing link, I go, Oh, that's, CG trying to look like stop motion and to your point earlier and it's not an insult it's you know because it's so good and I I, so I'm glad you don't take it that way but I just said that looks so good I love the style of it I was totally on board but I'm like I'm like I don't think that's stop motion it looks too good (laughs) and it's like when I saw how it was made 
I was, my mind was blown. Like it, it looks so good. You've gotten so the movement is so precise. And by what you've shown me now, I understand how, because I'm like, how are they moving? So lifelike it's like computers can do that because they're so precise with their motion. But now I can see you can fine tune these tiny knobs and, and controls. And that's really special that you can fool people like that. Right on. Thanks Kevin. Yeah. You're, you're welcome. It's, it's really a pleasure uh, to, to watch this. I'm a huge animation fan. I grew up with it. I love animation, all forms of it. So I'm all for different kinds and, and all that stuff. But um, yeah, this one is really special, not just even because of the look, but the, the writing, the humor, you know, this is one of those movies where I think of uh, the first Shrek movie is the first time I really thought of like animation where kids love it, but adults are going to get the jokes that go over the kids' heads and everything. And that's my favorite type of, of movie. And Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs does that. Um, and then this is another one where I was thoroughly entertained beginning to end. Uh, I didn't have my son that weekend. So my wife and I, and you met Katie, we went to see this movie opening weekend uh, and we're Hugh Jackman fans, Zach Galifianakis and, and Leica fans. So we were thoroughly from, from top to bottom. I mean, you know, it was mostly families in there and then us and we're cracking up the whole time. Um, do you guys uh, outsource the writing or do you have in-house writers? No. So the writer, Chris Butler, yeah. the director, who was also the director of Paranorman yeah. and writer, writer, creator of Paranorman was the writer, creator of Missing Link. So wow, that's cool. Yeah, it was. And, and so that was all done in-house. Yeah. Well, that's great. Yeah. I mean, the, the fact that you guys can kind of do it all, it really gives you control over fine tuning these things. And that's lucky that you're able to get such great scripts and, and great directors in-house and then and all this stuff uh what do you what is your job as an animation supervisor can you explain a little bit now that you've gone from animator to supervisor what do you do on a daily basis for a movie like missing link sure it start it starts early on you know with the script i start to pull reference of how these characters were mo- will move i meet with the director ask what you know are there any live action actors whose you know movements you know you you have in mind for these particular characters then I meet with the puppet department and I'm involved in how the puppets are built to make sure that they can perform in the way that we want, uh, that, that we want them to perform and get all the nuanced subtlety that we need to get, you know, and that's the back and forth that we wind up doing with all the testing. And then we build these robust character Bibles that I oversee, you know, and we, you know, give, as we do the tests, we talk about what's working, what's not working. We show them to the director, you know, do you like this? Do you not, you know, what do you not like about this? And, so I oversee all, of, you know, all of the development of the characters, all of the animation to make sure that everybody stays on style for, for you know, so, so, so the movie of 26 animators feels like it comes from one set of hands. Now, how do you shoot a movie like this? What, what does the camera look like? Uh, you know, what, what is this in-camera setup? And what does a studio look like? Like, I just, I can't picture. I'm sure I've watched behind-the-scenes stuff. But for people just listening, where do, what does your workplace look so like? So we, sh- we have a, a 250,000. It's tremendous. It's yeah. 250,000 square foot warehouse space that's all divided up into giant squares and rectangles of black duvetine curtains from ceiling to floor and each set. So every, every environment of the movie is in one of those squares or rectangles. And that's where the set will be. The lights will be, the animators will sit with the puppets. And so it's a big giant maze of, you know, floating cubes essentially. And we shoot on digital SLRs like Canon. uh, What is it? Canon mock. What are they? I'm the worst. I know what you mean, but I mean, you, but you're not talking about a big film camera. It's DSLR. So DSLR, I mean, like, you know, the, and we shoot a, a six thousand 
you know, 6,000 K image and wow. compress it to 2000 K and that's what we wind up using. Okay. So it's like, so, so basically for people that have 4k TVs, you're shooting in 6k. Is that, is that a similar comparison or how that's, I don't know. I don't know how that converts, but you're shooting in super high depth, super high depth. And then yeah. you can crop things out and not lose quality. I exactly. Mean, Cause you're, what is a work print or what is a, would it be in 4k? How do you deliver the film? Is something Oh jeez! I would I guess like 4K is what you deliver. I, I would th- I would think yeah. so. You're shooting higher than 4K, and you can scale it down, crop, right. and all that stuff. That's amazing. So, and that gives you the ability. See, I was wondering how do you load a film camera into all these different sets and everything, but you're not really limited by space with a DSLR. No, I mean, do you use big lenses or how big are the lenses on these things? It, it depends. You know, we use a lot of prime lenses. Yeah. You know, we do the occasional zoom lens. Yeah. Um, but you're not. It's not a big thing that has to telephoto in no, and out i mean yeah no. it's just a prime lens but so. even still like sometimes those 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 dslrs are are too big you know you want to get them into the set yeah. you have to figure out oh crap how are we going to do that yeah. you're gonna have to you know figure out how to take set pieces away so you can get the camera in there yeah. so it's yeah it's you know it's something that you can just go to best buy and buy wow you know? that's amazing well and these things have gotten so good you know these dslrs you can get for even i mean a few thousand dollars isn't a small amount of money, but it's also not, you know, Oh, I want to make a movie. Okay. These cameras are a hundred thousand. Right. I mean, what this allows people to do is, uh, these film students or, or people, just filmmakers, young filmmakers can go to Best Buy. They can buy one of these cameras and they can play around and figure out the style they want. And they can make a movie without hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt. Totally. It's so accessible to, yeah. to people right now. It's, it's amazing. What did you used to shoot on when you were a kid? What was like old? It was a, it was a super eight back when super I was eight. in okay. high school. And then when I was in college and I first started doing it, we had at, at Tampa, we had a three quarter inch machine that had a pa- you know, like a pause button, yeah. which, it, which gave you pretty much two frames, <laughs> you know? And it was just, you just hit it really fast, and that's wow. how that's how I did all the stuff in school. It was interesting. I think about it today, and what a crappy setup it, it was. <laughs> but know? I mean, that's that's everything with technology, though, right? Yeah. I mean, remember how we used to have to go to the library and didn't have the whole world in our pocket? Right. Yeah. I mean, it just that's everything, though. So yeah, the Dewey filming, Decimal System. Oh my gosh! Yeah. yeah. So I mean, kids don't even know half the stuff you're talking about. Like I my know. son's ten, and of course I've taught him, and and we watch classic animation and stuff you know i'm, I'm teaching them right that's yeah. what you do with your kids when yeah. you're into this stuff but still you know you try to teach him stuff and you show him stuff and and a lot of times you just presume he knows what you're talking about and he's like what's that and you feel real old. totally <laughs> totally well i'm starting to feel it's, it's funny we 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 touched on it yesterday a little bit like i'm starting to see this next generation you know we have interns every year and these yeah. kids coming out of school all of a sudden they're these kids who are inspired by the work that we're doing like one of my animators i just did a talk uh, earlier in the year in February for the 10 year anniversary of Coraline. And oh. somebody asked a question about, Oh, does it seem like so long ago, 10 years ago? I was like, well, they, they all just kind of blend in, right. you know, blend in together. But yesterday was one of my animators, 24th birthday, which means he was 13 when Coraline <laughs> came out and 15 when Paranorman came yeah. out and you just go to, I'm like, Oh my gosh, here's this kid who's inspired, like where I was inspired by Harryhausen and Rankin yeah. and Bass, right. which if you look back at while groundbreaking for the time, it's, yeah. you know, choppy. See, that's the stuff I show my son. See, right. I love all so the classics. Yeah. It, but these kids are inspired by the stuff that we're doing, trying wow. to push the medium. And now they're coming straight out of school with this uncanny ability. And it's super exciting to me where they're going to take it. 
Yeah. Well, I'm going to say, do you, they're probably teaching you some things out of school. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying they're reinventing like or anything, but they probably come in and they go, oh, well, have you ever tried doing it like this? And you're like, what? (laughs) That hasn't happened yet, but it's Uh, on the, it's it's on the cusp. I know. I know it. It's, yeah. it's, it's amazing how fast things change. Yeah. But, um, missing link again. I, I really, I've implored people on the show. I went and saw it and we weren't reviewing it on the show. It, we do one movie a week and it didn't end up being the movie, but I had gone to see it. And ever since then, I've told people whenever it comes up or something with animation, you know, I tell people you need to go see missing link because it is so fun. You know, it's a movie with a lot of heart. You know, it's, it's, it's not just funny, but adults and kids both will think it's funny. Uh, and it's, it's just a good story. Thanks. Yeah. You know, it, it like, we, we, you know, we tell stories that reflect the human experience, yeah. you know, and there's probably no greater yearning, yearning than the sense of, you know, belonging where you fit in. Yeah. And, and that's really at the core of missing link. And we think that that's what gives it, you know, such heart. Yeah, it really is. It's such a good story and so relatable in different aspects. I mean, which is weird to think at face value with, uh, you know, this monster hunter and uh, Sasquatch. Like, you know, you're like, oh, what a relatable movie, right? <laughs> but uh, it really is. And uh, the the voice acting, I mean, Hugh Jackman can do anything. He's great. You He's know, a- Chris Butler talks about him. And, and you know, because Lionel's, a, uh, he's not the like or the most likable guy, yeah. you know, but when when he was thinking who he wanted to cast it was it always had to be Hugh Jackman who you know as he says is you know one of the most likable people on the planet oh my gosh yeah and just and, and he, talented it's and just he, what can't that guy do yeah it's, totally and yeah. he's he's so good yeah. so good in that role yeah. and Zach is terrific oh my gosh yeah and and really again I don't think people give voice actors enough credit and these guys are obviously actors that do a lot of stuff but when it comes to voice acting I think people think like yeah well you just record in front of a microphone and there's so much more to it and you have to it's I think it's even harder sometimes to make it believable because in your voice you have to convey mm-hmm. those emotions i mean if, if your voice isn't matching what's going on on screen you're not going to get that emotion out of your audience and right the, the, yeah if you're not getting that in the voice it, it makes it harder for the animator yeah you know so when you have these incredible voices they're just providing gold and providing opportunities for the for the stop motion animator to to give to deliver an even better performance. So do you animate to the voices Always. then? So you've got the script, they do it, and then you animate. Exactly. Cool. That's yeah. awesome. Well, cause, and particularly now, because, you know, in order to get the lip sync right, you need in, to know what the inflection is. And now, because we do 3D printing, you know, wow. all the faces are done ahead of time. Yeah. So in order to get the most uh, humanity in, in, in the faces and get the most subtle, nuanced performances, they all have to be done to the voice. Oh, that makes sense. Okay. So, and what was the uh, production time? I mean, I know obviously there's pre-production and everything, but I guess what what was the whole project about? Five years all in. Five years. Yeah. So. And that includes, that includes uh, the story, you know, the, the script, the storyboarding process, then pre-production, which is, a, you know, that takes about a year. And then there's pre-production, which is about a year where they start to build all the assets, the puppets, the set pieces. And then there's the animation time, which is a... 92 week schedule we were closer to 100 weeks on this one so how far was it between was it um was it kubo and then this yeah there was some crossover oh there was yeah okay because that's what i was going to say if things take five years you're not releasing movies every five years you have to have people starting on the next thing and everything they were working on it when we were about halfway done with wow. Kubo. So that means you're probably into something else now then. Yeah, we're well in secret project. It is, it, it's it not is. announced yet. Oh, no, I can only, okay. call, I, I can only call it film six and I, I, film I six? can't wait till I can share it with you, but it's, okay. it's something totally different. Oh. Again, 
it's going to push the medium in a, in a really, oh, really cool way. What a tease. I know. Okay. I know. But I mean, we've got missing link right now. It came out this year. People need to see this movie. And I, I really think it's going to be nominated for best animated feature. I mean, I would love it if it wins and let's hope for that. But you were, you know, we were talking earlier, like, Oh, there's a lot of other competition, you know, it hopefully it gets nominated, but I can't see how this movie doesn't. It's, I hope so. It, it's, you know, it's, it's one of the few original stories that's, yes. that's out there. That's not a, 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 a reboot or yeah. a sequel and original. And, that's yeah. the other. Yeah. I mean, you guys are pushing original stories, not only original technology and inventing all this stuff and pushing the medium, you know, as far as it can go and improving and building, but it's like, you're doing these original stories, which Always. is something that I can appreciate. And I know film fans do because we're getting so much of the rehashes of, of stuff. And while it can be fun to play it in nostalgia, you know, there's only so many times you can do something. Right. I yeah. mean, they, you know, they do a great <laughs> job at that. It's, it's yeah. just, yeah, there's a lot of it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Brad. I think this is a great place to wrap it up and it's really been a pleasure talking to you. Right on. Likewise. Thanks. Kevin. So yeah. So best of luck, uh, with missing link and, and getting that Oscar nom and, uh, I'll be pulling for you for a win. I know the competition's tough out there, but you guys deserve it. Right on. Thanks Leica's so much. Awesome. Thank you very much. What a pleasure speaking with Brad Schiff from Leica. Um, such a great career and uh, so many great things going on over there. And we'll be excited to follow what he does with, with Film 6, which is all we know about it for right now. But that's it for the show. So, you know, uh, follow us on all the social media, at Real Spoilers on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Real Spoilers. Uh, subscribe, tell your friends, all that good stuff. You know the deal by now. Uh, leave us a review. Uh, that helps us get found. And uh, you can follow me, at Kevin R. Brackett, on Twitter. And we'll talk to you soon. Take care, guys. I discovered Sasquatch. Pleased to meet you. I'm lonely. On the other side of the world are my kind. I shall get you there. Do I have time to get my bathing suit? The search is on. We will find your family. <laughs> the team is ready. Throw me out of the pit. <laughs> Hard to know whose fault that was. And nothing can stand in their way. Stop that! You'll have to climb the wall. Okay. <laughs> oh, no! Woo! Bravo. Missing Link. Rated PG. Botox Cosmetic, Atabotulinum Toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.